are listening to the audio preaching podcast from North Valley Baptist Church in Santa Clara, California, led by Pastor Jack Treber. Though located in the heart of the Silicon Valley, you will hear fervent, old-fashioned revival preaching from the pulpit of North Valley Baptist Church. It is our desire that you will be helped by this gospel message. Well, tonight we continue in our journey through the Old Testament as we endeavor to get an overview of each of the 39 books which make up the Old Testament scriptures. And tonight we find ourselves in what we refer to as the poetical books. If you do any study of the way scriptures are laid out, usually we divide the, the books of the Bible into different categories or different groups. And it's very interesting to know that the books of poetry, uh, Job, Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, and Song of Solomon, they make up what I refer to as the heart of the Old Testament. Uh, preceding them, there are 17 books which are primarily history. Genesis, uh, up through the book of Esther, all of those books are primarily historical in nature. They tell us what happened during the era of time in which uh, they are describing. Then following the poetical books, you have 17 books in the Old Testament that are all prophetical in nature. They tell us what is yet to happen, what is going to happen in uh, the future days. And here in the middle, we have these five books of poetry uh, that make up what I call the heart of the Old Testament. So between the past and the future, lies the present. That's what these five books of poetry deal with, is present matters that you and I deal with on an everyday basis as we make our journey through this present life. Think about it with me, if you will. The book of Job really uh, speaks to the wonderment of the mind. We all have a great question. In fact, if you've knocked on very many doors, if you've tried to witness to very many people, you have probably had this great question thrown up in your face. People will ask you this question. Well, why do bad things happen to good people? Or why do the righteous suffer? Can I tell you that is the answer. That is answered by the book of Job. The truth of it is we do not understand, humanly speaking, why suffering must come. But we do know that God has a plan, God has a purpose, and if we will just be faithful and trust him, he will work everything out in the end. Then we have the book of Psalms. While Job speaks to the wonderment of the mind, Job, uh, Psalms speaks to the worship of the soul. Over and over you read about the psalmist praising God and worshiping God and singing songs of praise unto God. And can I tell you, there is nothing that will nourish your spiritual man like learning to worship God. Sometimes we get caught up in worshiping God because of what he has done. But the greatest worship is when you just worship God for who he is. He's God, and as God, he is worthy of our praise, our adoration, our, our devotion. And boy, sometimes just stop and think about who God is. And that God would deign to take an interest in me. Oh, that ought to overwhelm us. Boy, that ought to cause us to lift our hearts, lift our voices, lift our hands in praise and worship of him. 
Then we have the book of Proverbs. Last week, Pastor did such a great job looking at the book of Proverbs. And the book of Proverbs deals with the walk of the feet. Rules and guidelines for living this life, to be successful, to have a happy life, to have a prosperous life, to have an enjoyable life, to build a good home, to raise a good family. Many of those truths found in the book of Proverbs, just little simple rules to pattern your life by and to guide the walk of your feet. Then in just a few minutes, we're going to come to the book of Ecclesiastes. Really, the book of Ecclesiastes deals with the work of the hands. Can I tell you the truth of it is the work of the hands are needful. Work by the hands is a good thing, but they will never satisfy the soul. There is a longing deep within the heart of every person that cannot be satisfied by something you can experience in this life as far as an experience of the flesh or as a, a, an accomplishment, a work of the hands, the only thing that will satisfy that longing is a relationship with the God of heaven. And then, of course, we have the book of the Song of Solomon. The book of Song of Solomon really deals with the want of the heart. You know what every heart wants? Every heart, though it may not realize it, it wants a coming bridegroom who is altogether lovely. And that's exactly what the Song of Solomon is all about. And so these poetical books found in the heart of the Old Testament deal with the practical matters of everyday living. Now, of these poetical books, three of them were written by the wisest man, humanly speaking, who ever lived, the man by the name of Solomon. He wrote the book of Proverbs. It's a book of rules. He wrote the book of the Song of Solomon. I'm not sure what word will be used for that but I would refer to it as a book of romance. But he also wrote the book of Ecclesiastes, and tonight our R word is the word regrets. The book of Ecclesiastes is really a book where Solomon pins his regrets for the life that he has lived. I, I, I want you to try to visualize with me for a few moments as we begin to look at some things about this book and as I begin to look at this book, I can see Solomon as he picks up his pen and prepares to write. In my mind, he is an old man. He is surrounded by opulence. His face, his countenance is lined by the years of wanton living. He sits in a palace that is filled with extravagant furnishings and yet is steeped in intrigue and plotting. He's on a second floor balcony where it overlooks a magnificent garden. It's graced by imported peacocks and other exotic creatures. He's the ruler of a vast, expansive kingdom. He has a treasury that is overflowing literally with wealth. And yet he's dissatisfied with life. He's miserable. Here's what he says, vanity of vanities, all is vanity. My money, my pleasures, my position, my power, it's all worthless. And he picks up his pen. And though perhaps he does not really realize it under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, 
he begins to write. And as he writes, he looks back in regret on a life spent in vain. Notice, first of all, with me tonight, he opens in chapter number one with the challenge. Verse number three, what profit hath a man of all his labor which he taketh under the sun? Really, what Solomon is saying is, what is the purpose of life? What is the reason for living? I have everything that a man would think you need to be happy and yet I'm discontented, I'm dissatisfied, I'm miserable. Solomon was blessed with a great heritage. He's the son of David, a man after God's own heart. Solomon is given a great privilege. He is given the throne of the kingdom of Israel. In fact, Solomon was one of the very few people in the Old Testament whom God visited and made a personal visit with. In fact, God visited Solomon not once, but he visited Solomon twice and spoke to him. And yet, Solomon must have come to that throne. He built the temple using money that his father had laid up in store. And as he builds the temple and begins to look around, he thinks, there must be something else in life that I'm missing. There must be something else that I should try. And so the challenge is, what is the meaning of life? What is the purpose of life? And he sets out to make it his goal to find the answer. And so we move from the challenge in chapter number one to what I call the chase in chapters two through 10. Solomon sets out on a pursuit to find what he's going to believe is the meaning of life. What is it that will satisfy me? What is it that will fill that empty spot on the inside? That thing I'm longing for, that something. I, I, I think I'm very wise. I have a lot of knowledge. I have a lot of money. I can kind of try to pursue whatever I want. And if I try hard enough and search long enough, I will find the answer. And so he sets out. First of all, in chapter number two, we find that satisfaction is sought experientially. Here's what Solomon says, what can I try? Isn't it amazing that no matter how much time passes by, how many centuries roll over, that humanity never changes at heart? I guarantee you there are people sitting in this room tonight. You have a great heritage. You've grown up in a good Christian home. You're a member of a great church, but you're sitting there dissatisfied with life and you're just planning and plotting an opportunity to go out and search and pursue and try some things because you think you're missing something when really you have everything right in your lap tonight. Look at chapter two. I wish I had time to go through it in its entirety, but let me just point out some things that Solomon tried. Verse number one, I said in mine heart, go to now, I will prove thee with mirth. Solomon said, I'll try wit. I mean, humor, being funny about everything. You know, uh, laughter is, is great and, and laughter will answer the need that I have. And, and, you know, just make life fun and enjoyable. 
He tried wit, but laughter wasn't the answer. Look at verse number three. I sought in mine heart to give myself unto wine. Solomon said this, I tried wit and laughter wasn't the answer, so now I'll try wine. But he found that liquor wasn't the answer. Can I say this? All wine and liquor will do is numb your mind to your problems and the immediate context. And tomorrow when you wake up, those same problems will be there, but they'll be magnified. It is a temporary escape from reality. Notice what he said. He said in verse number three, yet acquainting mine heart with wisdom. He said, I tried wit and laughter wasn't the answer. I tried wine and liquor wasn't the answer. I'll try wisdom. But he found that learning wasn't the answer. We live in supposedly the most educated society on the face of the earth. And yet we can't even figure out how many genders there are. I mean, we've got people with degrees. They've got enough degrees. They look like a thermometer hanging on the wall. The truth of it is, they don't know any more now than they knew when they started. In fact, most of them know less now than they did when they began their pursuit. Learning is not, I think you ought to study. I'm a big proponent of studying. I'm a big proponent of learning. I tell students you ought to learn something every day. Every day, make it your goal to learn one thing. If you can learn one thing every day, this time next year, you'll be 365 things smarter than you are right now. And you do that for a lifetime and you'll turn out to be a pretty educated individual. But learning will not bring you satisfaction. It will not fill that void that is found down in the heart. Notice what he said. Verse number four, I made me great works. I built me houses. I planted me vineyards. I made me gardens and orchards. I planted trees of them of all kinds of fruits. Made me pools of water to water there with the wood that bringeth forth trees. Solomon said, hey, here's a novel idea. I'll try work. But he found that labor wasn't the answer. You know, we have people that are, we call them workaholics. They think if I just work, if I just work, if I could just get another job here, if I can just add this part-time job in here, if I can just do a little work here, and they think somehow if they can just work enough, they're going to fill that void. But can I tell you, labor's not the answer. Solomon even tried in verse number seven, I got me servants and maidens. Solomon tried women. If anybody ever tried women, it was Solomon. He had 700 wives and 300 concubines. But he found that lust wasn't the answer. You see, Solomon is pursuing and pursuing and pursuing. He's trying to experiment with this and experiment with that and experiment over here, thinking somehow I'll stumble onto the answer. And he did not realize that he had the answer all along. Solomon tried something most of us will never have the opportunity to try. Look at verse number eight. I gathered me also silver and gold and the peculiar treasure of kings and of the provinces. Solomon tried wealth, but he found that luxury wasn't the answer. Can I say money can build you a house, but it can't make a home? Money can buy medicine, but it can't give you health. Money can do a lot of things. Money can buy food, but it can't give you an appetite. Money is not the answer. We live in a generation, especially here in the Silicon Valley, that thinks that money is the answer to everything. Can I tell you, money is a great servant, but a poor master. 
You better master your money or your money will master you. Notice what Solomon said in verse number 10. Whatsoever mine eyes desired, I kept not from them. I withheld not my heart from any joy. Look at verse 11. Then I looked on all the works that my hands had wrought and on the labor that I had labored to do. Behold, all was vanity and vexation of spirit. There was no profit under the sun. Solomon experimented with thing after thing after thing after thing. And he came up empty. I, I was reminded of the words of the song that Brother Martinez sang a couple Sundays ago. I had hewed me broken cisterns that had mocked me by their dearth. I had found no satisfaction in the fleeting joys of earth. Can I say, young people, the devil will tell you, if you'll just try this, if you'll try that, if you'll try this, if you'll just experiment here, you'll find the, can I tell you, you'll walk away from those experiments more heartbroken, more saddened, more disillusioned than you were before you began. He sought satisfaction experientially. Let me just mention this. He sought satisfaction philosophically in, verses, uh, in chapters 3 through 10. Now he's the wisest man who ever lived. So he begins on this great philosophical journey. He says, well, as a young man, I tried everything. I mean, I tried everything I know to try. So maybe the answer is it's in my mind. I just have to analyze. I just have to search. I just have to figure it out. I have to come up with a philosophy that's going to make sense. And that's really what he does from chapter 3 all the way through chapter number 10. He'll talk about things he has seen in chapters 3 through 6. Notice he says in verse number 10, I have seen the travail which God hath given to the sons of men to be exercised in it. He says down in verse 16, And moreover I saw under the sun the place of judgment. He says in verse uh, uh, 1 of chapter 4, So I return to consider all the oppressions that are done under the sun. Verse number 7, Then I returned and saw vanity under the sun. In chapter number 6, verse number 1, There is an evil which I have seen under the sun. Over and over he's talking about things that he has observed. He became a people watcher. He began to try to analyze every aspect of life and figure out what the answer was. And then in chapter 7 through 10, he began to deal with things he had studied. He began to talk about these different aspects of life that he had evaluated and measured. Could I just say this? Something we should note about Solomon's pursuit, which you and I often become guilty of. If you go through the book, you'll learn and you'll notice the pronoun he uses. For example, look at chapter 2. I said in my heart, go to now, I will prove thee with mirth. I said of laughter, it is mad. I saw it in my heart. Do you notice, if you read chapter number 2, sometimes just circle the word I. Solomon had an I problem. Some 95 times in these 12 short chapters, Solomon will use the personal pronoun I. That does not include pronouns like me and my and mine. You know what Solomon's problem is? He's focused on himself. 
I, I mean, he, he, is, he is filled with himself. It is all about Solomon. Whatever Solomon wants, Solomon should get. Whatever Solomon wants to try, Solomon should have a right to try. It's all about Solomon. Boy, is that not the day and age in which we live. It's all about me. Everything revolves around me. Well, I don't like your church because I don't get to do this or I can't go there or you don't have this for me or you don't have this for my family or it's all about me. It's all self-centered. What happened to church being about worshiping God, about serving God? Well, you know, I, I, I've yet to have a church where somebody came to me and said, why'd you leave that church? Well, I left that church because there was no place for me to serve. I wanted to give in the offering. They wouldn't let me give. I've never had that happen. It's always, well, they didn't want to give to me or they didn't want to do for me. You see, Solomon's got that problem. He is filled with himself. It's all about Solomon and what Solomon wants. Notice not only that, notice not only the pronoun he uses, notice the phrase he repeats. Over and over you'll read this phrase. It first appears in verse number three of chapter one. He said, what profit hath a man of all his labor which he taketh under the sun? Sometime go through and mark, I believe there's some 29 different times that Solomon will use that phrase, under the sun. See, here's Solomon's problem. Not only is he filled with himself, but he's focused on this life. It's all about the here and now. Can I tell you, the here and now is just a fleeting moment. What is your life? It's even a vapor that appeareth for a little time, then vanisheth away. And we spend all of our resources, we spend all of our effort focused on what is happening under the sun. I learned a long time ago, if you just look at things on the 100-year plan, they make a whole lot more sense. I mean, really, what is this going to matter in 100 years? If it will matter in 100 years, you better take care of it. If it won't matter in 100 years, forget about it. I mean, don't worry about it. Don't stress out about it. Because you won't be here anyway in 100 years, so it really won't matter, will it? Well, some of you may be here in 100 years. You're going to be really old, but you may be here. Truth of it is, the pronoun he uses shows he's filled with himself. The phrase he repeats shows that he's focused on this life and the premise he holds over and over. He'll use words like wisdom and knowledge. Some 35 times he'll use those words and Really, it tells us that he's trying to figure things out. Can I just say this? One of the greatest things that will help you is to understand that you can have the answer for everything. You just have to trust God. But without faith, it's really hard to please God. Is that what the Bible says? No. But without faith, it is impossible to please God. And God wants you to be pleasing to him. God wants me to be pleasing to him. That's why he demands certain times that we have to exercise faith. Otherwise, we can't be pleasing to him. So sometimes God will bring something into my life and I don't understand it and I can't explain it. I, 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 I can't figure it out. And here's what I have to say. God, I don't know about it. I can't understand it. I can't explain it. But I know you, and I know you know about it, and I know you have the answer, and I'll just trust you to give me the answer if I need it. Now let me get to the conclusion. 
the challenge, the chase. But notice the conclusion in chapters 11 and 12. As Solomon nears the end of his days, he looks back with regret. I think he looks back with regret at all he has missed. You say all he's missed? I mean, he's had laughter and liquor and learning and labor and lust and luxury and all he has missed, oh yeah, he's missed. I can see him, this old man with a face that is marked by the ravages of his sinful life. Maybe big golden rings on his fingers. A satin robe about his shoulders. Everything a man would think you need to be happy. And I watch as the tears begin to roll down his cheeks. As he realizes, I had it all and wasted it. My life is spent in vain. We know in just a few short days when Solomon passes off the scene, the kingdom will be divided. Never again will it be the same. Not too many years in the temple that he spent so much effort on will be looted. The vessels carried off to Babylon, the temple burned. Everything Solomon has invested in has turned to nothing. Solomon, everything you've tried has been in vain. Now as you approach your deathbed, do you have any words of advice for us? Solomon, what would you tell us tonight? As we head out on our lifelong journey, Lord, what... Solomon, what should we do? Here's his conclusion. If you want satisfaction in life, if you want to find meaning, chapter 12 and verse number 1, remember now thy creator in the days of thy youth, while the evil days come not, nor the years draw nigh. Solomon, what's your first piece of counsel? You must find God. Oh, can I say tonight, you better, you better find God in your life. You say, well, I don't know how to find him. Jeremiah said, you shall seek me and find me when you shall search for me with all your heart. The greatest place to find God is in this book right here. Every morning you get up, you ought to open this book and begin to read. And I will tell you, if you're sincere and you'll say, God, I'm looking for you. God, I want to find you. Trust me, God will show up. It's just a matter of time. You will find him when you search for him with all your heart. You find him in the scriptures. You find him in the sanctuary. Oh, there will not ever be an hour that the doors are open and you physically can be here that you absent yourself. That may be the very service that God has worked in the preacher's heart and prepared a message that's going to answer the question that you have, that's going to give you direction for the next step in life, that's going to help you find the answer that you're looking for. 
and you stayed home because it was a little too far to drive or you were a little weary or you didn't think that somebody shook your hand or you knew that somebody had sat in your pew last Sunday or whatever the excuse is and you missed what God was trying to tell you. You'll find him when you search for him with all your heart. You must find God. Well, Solomon, that's great. I, I want to find God and I, I trust that I have found God. What else, what else will help me have a life of satisfaction and not have to pin a book of regrets at the end of my days? Look at chapter 12, verse number 13. Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. Not only must you find God, but you must follow God. Fear God and keep his commandments. And his commandments are not grievous. You know, really being a Christian is a pretty easy thing. All you have to do is obey the Bible. It's not, it's not that hard. Now we battle against it, don't we? You know why? Because we have an old nature that doesn't want to obey the Bible. We have an old nature that doesn't want to do what God said do. You know what our problem is? Our problem is like Solomon. We want to make our own way. We want to do our own thing. There is a way that seemeth right unto a man. But the end thereof are the ways of death. You want to end up in the ways of life. There's only one way of life, and that's the way of righteousness. That's God's way, going God's way. And fear God and keep his commandments. That's the whole duty of man. Solomon, no, we must find God. No, you said we must follow God. What else would you have to say? Solomon says in verse number 14, remember, one day you must face God. For God shall bring every work into judgment with every secret thing, whether it be good or whether it be evil. And I don't know, I can't prove it, but in my heart, I see a king with a marked face slip from his comfortable seat and fall on his knees and say, oh God, what a fool I've been. Oh God, forgive me. A God who is gracious and a God who is kind would most certainly forgive. But in my mind, I see his people outside the door say, what's going on with the king? Should someone check on him? And finally, they get up their courage and they open the door and they slip in. And they're laid in a heap on the floor. Is the lifeless body of the wisest man who ever lived, who played the fool. Solomon tried all those things, but if he had just tried worship, he would have found the Lord as the answer. 
can I say tonight, don't be a Solomon. You may have worldly wisdom. You may have intellect and ability. You may have treasure and wealth. But what is it all if you walk not after God? Don't come to the end of your days in a book of regrets. My dad passed away at the young age of 63. I remember sitting by his bedside. I knew I would have to preach his funeral. And I said to him, I said, Daddy, I said, if you had life to live over again, what would you do differently? He didn't say anything for a couple minutes. I thought maybe he had drifted off to sleep. Then he turned his head and looked at me, all shrunken from the ravages of his disease. And he said, well, son, he said, I haven't always been perfect, but I've always tried to get it right as soon as I could. I wouldn't change a thing. Can I say that ought to be our goal? When we lay upon our deathbed, someone says, what would you change? Well, I haven't been perfect, but I've endeavored to get it right as quick as I could. I wouldn't change a thing. Oh, tonight, may we come to an altar. May we learn from Solomon. May we determine from this day forward, I'll find God. I'll follow God, and I'll be ready to face God. Thank you for listening to the audio preaching podcast from North Valley Baptist Church in Santa Clara, California, led by Pastor Jack Treber. For more information about our ministry or to find out how to get in contact with us, visit our website at nvbc.org. May God bless you as you serve Him this week.